Hi, and welcome to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton. I'm the founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Ween, senior pastor of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. He's also a Transforming Community alumni, which means that he and I have been in relationship for a long time. We know how to have fun in a conversation, and we are looking forward to having fun together today. Ruth, here we are, episode nine. Hard to believe. It is. I've had so much fun doing this with you. Yeah, so much energy. Oh my goodness. Uh, So this one is about a rule of life, developing a rule of life, arranging our lives for spiritual transformation. So uh, what is a rule of life? What are you talking about? And why why is it so important for leaders to cultivate one? Well, uh, the idea of a rule of life actually, again, comes from our own Christian tradition. Um, It comes from Benedict. I think St. Benedict was the first one to establish a rule of life for the monks who were living in the monastery. And it was simply a pattern of practices and behaviors and attitudes that he believed would keep the people who are living there together open to the transforming presence of Christ. So for the Benedictines, it would be a rhythm of prayer, worship, and study, or or prayer, work, and study. So it would be those three practices. But if you want to broaden it out a little bit, the rule of life is just a way that we choose to live our lives that we believe will keep us open to the transforming presence of Christ. And most of us don't live in monasteries. We live in families and we have jobs. And yet this idea that you can establish a way of life that works, that you can establish a way of life that keeps you open open to the presence of God, a way of life that's good for you, body, soul, and spirit. I mean, it's very, very exciting. Now, I admit I am a P on the Myers-Briggs, so I don't love the language of rules. Okay, so I have (laughs) taken the liberty of changing the language just a little bit to talk about rhythms. Of course, I like the idea of rhythms so much better because the idea of rhythms speaks to some of the most beautiful aspects of our life on this earth, right? There's the rhythm of the seasons, which are just beautiful. Even if you hate winter living in Minneapolis... Um, and Chicago, even if you hate winter, most of us who live here wouldn't want to miss the changing of the seasons and people who live, you know, in other places of the country or the world where the temperatures and the, the seasons are not nearly as defined. Well, when they get to experience fall or something like that, it's, it's pretty riveting for them. It's yes. beautiful. Yes. So the rhythm of the seasons, the rhythms of the tide, I mean, we all spend big bucks to go sit next to that rhythm, right? Yep. Um, the rhythm of uh, music and dancing, you know, you can't dance without having rhythm. The, rhythm that, the rhythms that keep us alive, like the rhythms of our heartbeats, the rhythms of our brain waves, the rhythms of our breathing. I mean, there are rhythms that are beautiful, and then there are rhythms that actually keep us alive. And that's how I like to think about these patterns of um, attitudes and behaviors and experiences that, that keep us alive and that are also very beautiful um, for us. And I think it's a part of the goodness that God intends for us. And so that's what we mean when we talk about a rule of life. It is simply a rhythm of spiritual practices and uh, ways of being in the world that are good for us, body, mind, and spirit. Yeah. The way I look at it is like, what are the things in what seasons that I need to commit to so that I remain open Mm -hmm. to God that includes Sabbath keeping, mm-hmm. that includes regular times of retreat, that includes times with my family. Mm-hmm. I mean, that includes times with friends. I mean, there, yeah. there's all these mm-hmm. things. So could you talk about your own rule of life or rhythm 
that you've cultivated over the years. Can you give us some examples of how you live this out? Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, let's just be honest and say that your rhythm and your rule is definitely affected by the season of your life. Right. So I've been doing this for a long time, which means that when I began, I had little children. Uh, and in fact, I had a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a newborn baby. And I wanted to say to God, are you really kidding me? Is it possible to have rhythms of solitude and silence and things like that at this stage of my life? But that's when my invitation came. Yes. Uh, it came at that time in my life. So I had to believe that God knew the way for me to have some rhythms that would be life-giving for me. And so at that point, they were much simpler than they are now. And I, I n- need to tell you right away that you don't want to be unrealistic about your rhythms. Because if you set up an, an ideal for yourself, I'm going to spend two hours in solitude every day, but you're the, you know, your parents of young children, you're just going to set yourself up for failure. So you really must look at the season of life that you're in. So when I first began this journey, which was a long time ago now, I could only get like 15 minutes of solitude. And my husband had to sort of be in charge of the home front for me to get 15 minutes by myself in the bathroom, you know? Yes. But what I've learned is that God is really gracious and that God is able to expand whatever whatever we're able to give him. God is able to expand it and to make it really good. So um, when I had young children, that was one set of rhythms that I had. And the solitude opportunities were not very long, but God really worked. In fact, it was a good thing I was remedial because that 10 minutes was something I could actually accomplish. I could be in silence 10 minutes a day. And uh, what it meant, though, was that I had to be very disciplined about how I spent the minutes that I did have. Yes. You know, and I had to have a great deal of desire, and not just desire, but intention about how I wanted to spend the few minutes that I did have. Because, of course, when you have young children and you have a few minutes, the list of what you'd like to do in that few minutes is so long. And so I had to really determine that, that the minutes that I had at least some of those were going to be spent being with God in ways that were meaningful for me. And at that time, solitude and silence were the disciplines that I was practicing um, primarily. And then um, when we had teenagers, and we had many years of having a, a house full of teenagers, well, then our nights were very late. Rather than the mornings being so early, the nights were very late. And so this issue of rest and how much sleep we oh, could get yeah. became a real challenge to us as well. And I had to cry out to God and say, you know, I'm tired a lot right now. And, and yet this idea of being for the sake of others, that my transformation, my times in solitude weren't just for me to navel gaze and have these warm, fuzzy times with God, that I was living a life that included teenagers. And it was a unique time in our lives with a lot of gifts in it. And so I asked God as part of my, the rhythm of my attitudes and patterns and behaviors, um, I began to pray that God would help me to see these beautiful teenagers the way that he saw them, that I would receive their life-giving energy into my life as a different kind of energy than getting enough sleep at the time, right? And to just uh, welcome the opportunities to have little meaningful interactions with with teenagers as they were coming through our house to get a drink, you know? And um, I'm so glad that God gave me the vision for what kind of prayer and availability needed to be a part of my rhythm then so that I didn't miss those years by running away you know, into solitude. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, And then now uh, we don't have children at home. And so I'm able to spend more time in solitude. So my mornings always are, have a significant amount of quiet in them before I open up to technology. It's important to think about technology now. Um, When you are in solitude, where's your phone? I suggest it be out of the room. I suggest you not allow your phone to even be with you during that time. Um, I like to think of rhythms about when I'm going to open up email because once you open up your email on any day, then the world is upon you, right? So I have clear ideas about when I will, you know, 
open up my email. Um, I also encourage people to think about their evenings because the fact that we have technologies that make our work available to us all the time means that we really could work 24-7 oh, now. Yeah. And so I encourage us all to think about rhythms for closing out the workday and, you know, closing down the computer. Um, I think that the fixed hour prayer, the evening prayer, can be a really nice way of shutting down the day and saying it's good. Just like God did at creation, saying it's enough for today and it was good. And now I'm shutting down my work and now I'm going to give my heart and my focus to my family. And I know that, you know, pastors will have evening meetings and stuff like that. But I would encourage a good understanding of how many times you're going to be away from your family at night. That that's a part of your rhythm, that I will only have two commitments that take me out of my home uh, during any given week. That can be a part of your rhythm. And then um, I encourage thinking about bedtime and nighttime a little bit more intentionally, you know, um, because we're so overstimulated and there's so much caffeine and all of that. Sometimes we're not resting well, and so to have a good nighttime rhythm, maybe a fixed hour prayer at night, maybe we do the exam at night, um, but we have a way of, again, entrusting the day that we just had to God, saying it's enough, and then really becoming aware of the fact that when we sleep at night, we're trusting ourselves to God. And for many people who struggle with issues of insomnia and sleep or overstimulation, having a fixed hour of prayer at night, doing something at night, at nine o'clock, or, you know, yep. rather than just having your television on and continuing to be stimulated all the way up until you lay down to try to go to sleep, having a rhythm around bedtime can also be very good as well. So um, those are some of the contours of my own life, the, the, the aspects of life that I think about. Um, then there's the care for your body, which I think is really important for us all to give some consideration to exercise, medical procedures, um, how we're eating, you know, and, and yeah. things like that. Um, the, the rhythm of having a spiritual director, maybe once a month, you know, someone that we just open up our you know, our spiritual life with. Um, those are all aspects of my own rhythm. I'm not going to give you specifics because I don't want to distract people by the specifics of my life because, right. you know, your life isn't going to be like mine. No two people's spiritual rhythms are going to be the same. Um, they're going to be very personal to you. They're going to be realistic based on the, the demands of your life as it exists right now. Um, I also encourage us to think about practices that fit our personality type. So I am an introvert, so obviously I'm drawn to solitude and silence. That means that I have to pay some particular attention to community, you know, and how do I make sure that I'm stretching towards community because I typically, if I had my choice, I'd probably just go inside all the time. Um, so you want practices that stretch you based on your personality type. And then, um, you want the ones that are comfortable for you as well, because that's how we transform. And that's another place where Bob Mulholland's work has been so helpful, because he actually utilizes the Myers-Briggs. That's another tool for self-knowledge. Um, he actually utilizes the, the Myers-Briggs so that you can understand what your type is, but not so you can just stay in your type, so you can actually stretch yeah. towards that which is not preferred. And he actually calls our shadow side the undernourished shadow side, that it's the part of us that we haven't nurtured. So oh. if you're a thinker, you haven't nurtured your feeling side. Um, if you're an extrovert, you haven't nurtured your introverted side. But that eventually, um, in the later part of your life, the part that's been undernourished will rise up to bite you because it will say, I want some attention too. Yeah. You know? So um, part of growing into wholeness, he says, is to actually develop the undernourished, the, the more unnatural parts of our personality type so that you can, you're still who you are. You know, I'm still a P on the Myers-Briggs, yep. but success for me, transformation for me is that I can, I, there's enough J, there's enough of that structured part that I can call on it when I need it, you yes. know? And he, he talks about that as an aspect of spiritual formation. 
is that we become more fully orbed. Yes. We become more able to access whatever personality type would be useful in this moment. So I love that. That is so helpful. And really, that was going to be my next question is how does personality play into this? Mm -hmm. And you answered it so well. Uh, because I think um, the temptation for me as an introvert mm-hmm. is just to say, I need so much right. alone mm-hmm. time. And, and if I don't get it, yeah. I'm going to be, uh, you know, angry. And and while there is truth to mm-hmm. that, I love the invitation into stretching. Right. Because I am a dad mm-hmm. of three little boys mm-hmm. and they need right. me. That's right. And it's not, it's not loving, mm-hmm. fair, or the kind of dad mm-hmm. I want to be just to always say, Hey, I need my alone time. Daddy needs his alone time. <laughs> and uh, so, so good. So you talk about Sabbath keeping mm-hmm. as the kingpin of a life well lived in God. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever you teach about it, it always turns into a very energized conversation among leaders. Why is that? Why is Sabbath keeping so important? And why do you think Christians have so often dismissed it, mm-hmm. even though it's such a clear thing that's yeah. taught all throughout Scripture? always an interesting question is how we figure out what we're going to avoid in scripture right and <laughs> what do you mean i don't avoid anything i didn't read about that or jesus you know jesus didn't make enough application for me to think it's for me but um i think i think we avoid it because it's difficult yeah you know in in our culture right now our 24 7 culture um it's it's very difficult because our culture now there is nothing in the culture that actually supports sabbath keeping when i was young Sabbath was still a thing, right? And and we all did there was it together. No sports on Sunday. <clears throat> Absolutely not. Uh, you know, the um, stores were not open, so nobody shopped. All of that. So it's it's changing the culture. There's no support for it. The other thing is for pastors in particular is that Sunday is often their busiest day, yeah. and so the question of how do I have a Sabbath when the day that would I, that I would most logically practice Sabbath is my work day. Yeah. And so um, there are creative solutions that we talk about and. I think part of that is for us to begin to teach our congregations about Sabbath. First of all, for us to embrace it ourselves. And this is the, you know, one of the later additions to my own spiritual rhythms because it presented such complexity in my life when God began to bring it to my heart and to my mind. First of all, I had practiced it when I was young, but in a very legalistic way. So we stayed dressed up. My, yeah. you know, I'm a pastor's kid, so we stayed dressed up all day. We weren't allowed to ride our bikes. Um, mm. It was a pretty boring day, and it felt legalistic. It didn't feel like delight. Um, but then eventually, in my 40s, in my early 40s, when I had been in ministry for almost 20 years at that point, just putting out all the time, seven days a week. I mean, I felt like I was indispensable. I felt like there was no way I could get it all done if I didn't work seven days a week. I didn't want to return to the legalism of my past. Um, But then God began to really press this need for rest upon me, Um, and and I couldn't squirm out of it. And then um, I had a biking accident where I got run over by a car um, while I was biking. And what was very interesting about that is that I just kept moving as though nothing had happened to me, even though I was bruised from the waist down. I had a fractured ankle and it was traumatic. I mean, yeah. to be run over by a car is actually traumatic. And I did experience some post-traumatic stress after that. Um, and part of that was that I didn't give my time any, I didn't give myself any time to heal from yeah. what I had experienced. So, I mean, I, I was, I was back at work and I remember my, one of my best friends, she said to me, she goes, Ruth, you know, you could take a day off. You did just get run over by a car. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, I know. 
It's funny, though. Yeah, it's, it is really funny. And so that was where God started to really alert me to the fact that I was not living my life in sustainable yeah. ways at all. And then um, I'd been there was this, this book, and it's one of my top five mm. favorites even now, and it's, it's this book, Sabbath, by Wayne Mueller. And I'd been reading it, but it was the, the thought of Sabbath was so impossible at that time. Yeah. I was on staff at a church, so I worked on Sundays. My husband's a banker, and his bank was open on Sundays. My kids were all athletes, and they're... Um, travel teams played on Sundays and I just I just had put it in the too hard file like this will not work for me so I did not want to open up the can of worms but in that time of recovery after that biking accident the words of Wayne Mueller would just keep coming to me he would talk about really gentle things like lighting a candle in the evening before you enter into it and letting the cares of your life melt away and noticing the things that hadn't been done and accepting the fact that they wouldn't be done because you were heading into Sabbath and he would talk about the beauty of the gifts of your life in your home and settling into those gifts and you know, eating beautiful food and making love in the afternoon and all of that. And I would just, I don't usually cry when I read stuff, but his writing was so beautiful that I i would just cry with the longing that I felt, but also with a sense of impossibility, like, I can't do this yeah. in my life. Yeah. Um, but it was during the recovery period um, where where his words just kept buzzing around like a fly on a window pane. I just couldn't get rid of his words, and I had to keep facing the fact that here I am. I had gotten run over by a car and did not take a day off. Right. And so God really started to speak to me and really turned me around on this topic. And I thought, well, I might not be able to figure it out for everybody else, but I can figure it out for myself. And that's what I started doing. I It was too late, honestly, for me to impose that on my family. Um so I started just practicing it myself. And what it meant was that, you know, it, it meant that um, um, I, I was on church at the, I was on staff of a church at the time. So I had to think about beginning Sabbath after my responsibilities on Sunday morning were over yep. and extending that into Monday then. Yep. So starting at one in the afternoon or whenever we got home and then not being, not engaging in, in work, not engaging in things that produce worry and anxiety, not engaging in consumerism during yep. that time. So it was challenging because my, I have three daughters, you've got three sons and yep. I've got three daughters. And to them, Sunday was a great day to shop for one thing. Yeah. And when they learned that mom was no longer going to shop on Sundays, they're like, wow, <laughs> you know, Panic. what are we going to do? And then later on, you know, they all got married. And so Sunday would become a great day for wedding planning. And I would say, no, that's kind of stressful. We're not going to do wedding planning on Sundays. Yeah. They're like, what? <laughs> you know, but um, as I began to embrace it for myself and the beauty of it, like, I mean, they would see me around the house, relaxed, sitting, you know, with an Afghan over my knees, reading books on the couch. And they would come sit with me and they'd realize our mom is different Yes. on the Sabbath. Yes. And so eventually, very, very interesting, eventually... Um, our family was really drawn into the beauty of this practice. This is the day mom cooks the most beautiful food. Mm. Um, this is the day when she's available to chat and to talk and she's not rushing off to somewhere. Um, this is the day when we can, you know, just be with her in a more relaxed fashion. Because let's face it, I'm a kind of driven person. So, you know, what I was on the Sabbath was what my family loved mm. yes. to find. And so... Um, that's how our family also started to enter into that practice. And I'm telling you, of all the practices, this is the one that is inviolable to me. I would Sabbath. not be sitting here up, uh, you know, in front of you today if I was not practicing Sabbath um, ritually in my life, religiously, yeah. if you want to pardon the pun. Um, it's, it is the most beautiful thing to realize that God has given us this gift out of the love of his heart. I mean, only a loving God thinks to give us a whole day um, for beauty, uh, for worship, 
for rest, for delight in God's good gifts, a day to let go of everything and to just trust God with running the world. Um, it is a gift from God's heart to ours, and I don't see anything in the New Testament that, um, that says that this gift is over. In fact, I think it's just so assumed, right. you know, that it doesn't even need to be talked about, you know? It's the first thing in the scriptures that's called holy. That's right. It's exactly. the first thing. Mm-hmm. And in my experience with Sabbath keeping and breaking the Sabbath. Yeah. Uh, Which we've all done. We've all done. I, I do it, you know, sometimes when but I get at, tempted. At first, it isn't wonderful. At first, mm-hmm. it's detox. That's right. It feels awful. It does. It, it feels mm-hmm. like I've, I, because I've, I'm putting aside my, all my ego's ways mm-hmm. of getting affirmed. All the addictions I have are, right. are sort of, so I think there is at first, if anyone wants to try this, yeah. you need to you need to mm-hmm. get ready for a little detox That's right. and and just be be in mm-hmm. that without judging it. That's right. It eventually gets better. That's right. And um, there will be temptations and seductions. Yes. You know, so you'll want to say, well, you know, this is just you know mowing the lawn is yard work. It's it's gonna it'll be outside. Right. Blah blah blah. Maybe I can get a twofer. You know, yes. maybe I can be sabbathing, but I can get my lawn mowed. Um, so that's one temptation is how do I get a twofer? How do I still get a little bit of work yes. done? Um, and you'll you'll find that you'll find yourself doing that. The other place it's really tempting is email. And, oh, you know, yeah. because I'll th- I've, I've, I've heard myself say, well, if I can just get on top of it, I'll, I'll get a better start to the next day. I'll just I'll just check and get a few things done and then I'll feel better about going into Monday, yeah. you know, and it's always a mistake. Yeah. But we all do it and we yeah. all work this process of trying stuff and realizing, oh, my goodness, if I hadn't opened email, I wouldn't have got drawn into that. Mm-hmm. And now it's ruined. Yeah. You know, um, now I've got this thing on my mind that somebody else put there. It's not part of my resting, but I opened myself up to it. Shame on me, you know, and then you don't do it next time because you realize that it's not good for you. And I would really add social media to that, too. Yes. In this, in this mm-hmm. day and age, if you're regularly on yes. Twitter and Facebook and other things, um, to to you don't even realize how you get tweaked oh, by someone's so comments true. and it takes oh. you right out of rest. Yes, exactly. Jealousy. Can we just talk about jealousy? Yes. I mean, as it relates to social media, yes. there's nothing like social media to make you feel jealous of other people's lives and jealous of what they've got. Of yeah. course, they're only putting their best foot forward, so you have no idea. They're right. putting their happy face on Instagram. They're not putting yeah. their fighting face on right. Instagram. Unless they're ranting. Yes, and that's, right. That's and that's happening even, a lot, yeah, too. Exactly. And, and, that's what I'm saying. And then is, you take that in yes. to your Sabbath, to exactly. your peace, and, exactly. and you let them affect your peace. Yes. And so um, we do have many, many more things to be challenged by and to be careful of and to watch the seductions of it all um, as we practice Sabbath. I love what you said, though. Let's not judge ourselves in it. Yeah. Let's not judge ourselves. Yeah. God knows how hard this is, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, and and let's just keep trying stuff and learning yeah. from, from what we try. And it comes back to, again, what do you want? Exactly. What do you, what do you, and Wayne Mueller's book really is so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I would say the best resource. Yeah, he paints the most beautiful picture of what it can be, and you get in touch with your deep desire for it. Yep. And then even though you might stray a couple times, you know, you eventually come right back to it because you want it more than you want any of that other stuff. Yes. Um, you've talked a little bit about family and community, uh, how it fit into mm-hmm. your own rhythm of Sabbath mm-hmm. and rule of life. But I think it's it's important if someone's listening, and they're they're just their their adrenaline is fired up. I, mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a rule of life. I'm gonna do this yeah. right now. I'm gonna mm-hmm. do Sabbath rhythms. What is the role of communicating with the people that you mm-hmm. live with? Because this isn't just an, a decision you can make by yourself right. with and that 
as if it doesn't affect anyone else. Mm-hmm. How, how does community play into yeah. it? Well, there's two ways to go with that. Um, there's the community that is your family. And especially Sabbath, let's be clear, Sabbath is different than solitude and silence because Sabbath is a communal discipline. Yes. The whole people of Israel did it together, and that's why it was so possible for them. Um, and they did it together as families. The whole family let go. The whole family lit the candle. The whole family, you know, yeah. prepared for this time of being unplugged and, and resting. And so sometimes people will ask, well, my family life is really stressful right now. You know, I've got little kids. What do you suggest? Well, you still need to find ways to make it a part of your life together as a family. Now, for pastors, I, one of the things I could suggest is that, like, say, you know, you your church meets on Sunday and you have a service that ends at noon. So, you know, by, by one o'clock you're home and everybody can get back in their jammies or into their comfy clothes or whatever um and so if you can you know kids take naps you know utilize that time for your own nap for your own time with your spouse things like that but then plan some fun things that help you to live in your family life um in an enjoyable way in a delighting way as opposed to this is really hard work yeah kind of a way um and then i would suggest that if pastors you know start to unplug and do Sabbath at one o'clock, that they take their Sabbath all the way through one o'clock on, on Monday. Monday. And that way they actually can get some, perhaps some other kinds of replenishment as well, especially if kids go back to school on Monday morning and things like that. Um, then, you know, incorporate some some additional solitude and silence because that is, you know, let's face it, that is replenishing. And there are ways of worshiping God in solitude and silence that are different than that very public arena that a pastor finds him or herself in yes. all the time. So we do need to find ways to practice Sabbath that honor the season that our family is in and that make it a good, winsome, delightful day for the people that we love. And they get to experience who we are on the Sabbath and we're more available to them and we're our rested self, not our frantic self. Now there's also the community that is our church that we must, must talk about because it's very hard to practice this discipline if you're part of a Christian community that doesn't think about Sabbath keeping at all. And I remember, um, after I left my, my official staff role and we started just attending a church as, an, as a family where, where I wasn't on staff anywhere, I thought, okay, good, now we can do this Sabbath thing because I'm not on staff anymore. Well, lo and behold, the church that we chose crammed everything into Sundays. Sunday. Oh, yeah. So the junior high youth group met from four to six. The high school youth group met from six to eight. All the you know choir practices, um, yeah. congregational meetings, small group, everything happened on Sunday. And so I couldn't, I could not find a way for our family to practice Sabbath. And now it wasn't because of the secular culture. It was because the church Church. didn't know how to practice this together. So we could talk for a long time about that. And how can the church become a place that helps families and helps Christians practice Sabbath and reclaim Sabbath? And how can the community be a community that practices Sabbath? And I have a, I've been a pastor for 22 Mm -hmm. years. Um, and I now work at a church that we don't have Saturday mm-hmm. services. We have right. Sunday services. And my kids are, you know, basically 10 and 8. Mm-hmm. I made a commitment uh, three years ago to never work on my sermon on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Good. Oh, that's a very good discipline. Because they're in school on Monday. Right. Uh-huh. They're in school on Friday. Saturday is the day yeah. we play together. Right. Saturday is the day I show mm-hmm. up. And if I am, and, and I'll be uh, a little forceful here, mm-hmm. if I'm so lazy that I don't get my sermon done mm-hmm. and I have to work on it all day Saturday and my kids every Saturday. Yeah. Daddy can't be say, with us. Daddy can't be with us because mm-hmm. daddy's got to work on his mm-hmm. sermon. Mm-hmm. Think about all the messages that's sending. Right. And so I honestly, so I work hard 
yeah. Monday. I actually take Friday off. I just switched that because mm-hmm. it's anyway. But uh, so Sunday through Thursday is my work week, mm-hmm. and it starts on Sunday. And if my sermon isn't done, then I'm getting up at like mm-hmm. 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. on on Sunday, and I have to yeah. finish it then. Yeah. But I don't touch it on Saturday. Yeah. If you have little kids and you're a pastor who's always preaching on Sunday, and you're always working on it on Saturday. I think that's a problem. Yeah. Family is suffering then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Saturday can be a kind of Mm -hmm. uh, Sabbath. So uh, Ruth, this is the last episode of season one. What last Mm -hmm. words would you like to share with the community? Well, we have been talking about the different spiritual practices that can make up the rhythms of our lives and what I do call sacred rhythms. The word sacred means holy. It means set apart for a sacred purpose. And so sacred rhythms are rhythms that are set apart for the holy purpose of um, living our lives well in God for the holy purpose of allowing God to transform us over time. And so to, we, we put it all together in our sacred rhythms. And that's what we're encouraging. And there'll be some work. You'll start with desire. You know, you start with getting in touch with what you really, really want. Um, You experience some of the spiritual practices and how beautiful they are and how good they are for your soul. And you say, I want that for my life. I want it more than I want my ego-driven stuff that I do. Um, And then you start to put it together in a set of rhythms that make sense for you right now at this stage in your life. And you enter into them out of joy. You enter in because you're being invited by God to live the life you've always wanted to live, to live the life that enables you to be the person that God has created you to be um, as you continue your transforming process. So um, I remember one time being in Florida um, by myself at the beach, needed some time on my own, and I began to notice some things on the beach that I hadn't noticed when I was there with family and kids, and I noticed that there was a sacred rhythm of the beach. And that is that the real sun lovers were not the ones who showed up and did sunbathing and volleyball during the day. The real sun lovers were the ones that showed up on the beach in the evening just as the sun was starting to set. And what I noticed was that um, as the evening came, people would bring their chairs, you know, those ones that are low to the ground. And if there were children, they'd bring their buckets and their pails and their shovels. They might bring a glass of wine with them. And so the parents would sit and or, or with friends. And um, it was almost like people were waiting for a show to begin or something like that. And I thought, what are they doing? You know, there's no no tanning right now. Nobody's going to get any, any sun. But what they were doing was gathering on the beach to see the sunset. And as the sun would sink low on the horizon, um, people would get a little quieter. The couples would lean into each other. They're sipping their wine. And then as the sun began to really dip below the horizon, there was this silent hush, this reverent hush across the whole beach. People are just watching this amazing thing that happens every day. And what I realized was that nobody had to tell people to go watch a sunset. You know, nobody had to say, this is what you ought to do. Nobody had to put a guilt trip on anyone. Watching sunsets was something that people wanted to do, and they actually planned their days around being there when the sun set. And I thought, you know what? I could live my whole life that way. I could live my whole life ordered around what it is that my soul really longs for and really desires. And it's not about oughts, and it's not about shoulds. It's because there are rhythms that take place every day that are so beautiful and so rich and so good for the soul and so compelling that once you've established them in your lives, you just don't want to miss it. And I remember being at a grocery store one night when the sun was setting and realizing, oh my goodness, I got the timing wrong and I'm here in this stupid grocery store (laughs) while the sun is setting over there and I literally dropped my stuff and went running to the beach so as not to miss this thing that happens every single day. 
And so that's, to me, the vision of sacred rhythms is that nobody has to tell you you have to. Instead, you discover these practices that are so good for you, body, mind, and spirit, that you don't want to live a day without your sacred rhythms. And when you do, because there will be days when you can't, you know, you can't do it the way you would always like to do it, you accept that as being your life. But you also realize I'm going to get back to that because I love it so much. And because when I am living in those rhythms, I am the person, increasingly the, increasingly the person that God wants me to be. And I'm living my life well in God. And that glorifies God. And so my prayer, Steve, as we end, it's been so great having this uh, opportunity to visit with you. My prayer is that we would be drawn into those rhythms that are right for us and um, that our lives uh, would be open and available to God because he's drawn us into these sacred rhythms. Amen. Thanks so much for listening today. There are so many podcasts out there, and we are grateful that you've chosen to spend this 30 minutes with us. Thank you so much, Steve, for such a great set of questions and for taking your own step of faith to join a transforming community so long ago in 2011. If you're a pastor or a clergy person or hold a leadership position in some Christian ministry organization, and if you want to forge a stronger connection between your soul and your leadership, and if the topic of today strikes a chord with you, um, consider this as an invitation to learn more about the transformation community, a two-year experience of spiritual formation for pastors and Christian leaders. Our experience is grounded in scripture. It's animated by a Trinitarian approach to transformation and community. It's informed by the richness and the diversity of our Christian heritage. So if you'd like to take advantage of that, just visit our blog, transformingcenter.org, find the show notes for this episode, and we'll also have links there to the other resources that we have mentioned in this podcast. Thank you for listening. We pray that these resources and this conversation will be an ongoing blessing for you in your life and leadership.